Hi there, and welcome back to Good Distinctions, or Good Distinctions are the Spice of Life. I'm your host, Will Wright, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Mr. Sean Madigan. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you. So, Sean, you uh, you are a religion teacher at the high school where I teach as well, and uh, so it's wonderful to have you. I was thinking a couple days ago when uh, Fiducia Supplicans came out, the document uh, from the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith that seems to have shaken the Catholic world, um, which is what we're going to be talking about today. I had a couple people reach out to me, which happens a lot when something comes out, and they're like, well, what does this mean? What is, does this change anything? And I thought to myself, you know, what am I going to do? Everyone's always asking me questions. What if I have a question? <laughs> so who do I call? I call Sean. And so I figured, why not have Sean come on? the program and uh so we can talk through it so thanks for being here bro happy so, to be here happy to talk uh we'll start with the the presentation so cardinal fernandez uh the new head of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith he said this he said and this is straight from the beginning of fiducia uh, supplicans on the pastoral meaning of blessings this declaration um so we're not going to start and stop like the whole time but I just want to stop there for a second. What is a, a declaration? Declaration is, if I'm if I'm right, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it's the highest level of document that the DDF can put out. Right. It's not it's not necessarily a, a papal document, but Pope Francis puts his you know stamp on it, and uh, usually it has to do with liturgy, I believe, um, some some kind of disciplinary practice in the church. Um, that's what it's been, at least in the recent past, somewhat recent past, but yeah, it's a pretty, pretty serious document. I think the last one, the last official declaration was, um, Dominus Jesus from 2000. Mm, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't come up much and it's, it's high magisterial level, but it, and I think this is in the, uh, beginning of this, the presentation, it was given to Pope Francis who gave it, it, it's approval. He signed off on it, but he didn't sign it so as to make it a papal document. Yeah, right. right and right. so I know that's the only way that it could be elevated. So at, at any rate, we're dealing with a very high level document. So yeah. it says this, this declaration considers several questions that have come to this dicastery in recent years. In preparing the document, the dicastery, as is its practice, consulted experts, undertook a careful drafting process and discussed the text in the Congresso of the doctrinal section of the dicastery. During that time, the document was discussed with the Holy Father. Finally, the text of the declaration was submitted to the Holy Father for his review, and he approved it with his signature. So taking a short pause there. So this was discussed by the DDF. It's not some clandestine backroom document. Mm -hmm. This is something the Pope was well aware of, and he signed off on it. The document continues. While the subject matter of this document was being studied, the Holy Father's response to the dubia of some cardinals was made known. That response provided important clarifications for his reflection and presents a decisive element for the work of the diacastry, since the Roman Curia is primarily an instrument of the service of the successor of Peter. Our work must foster, along with an understanding of the Church's perennial doctrine, the reception of the Holy Father's teaching. I want to stop there just to get your thoughts on that, because that's an odd statement to me. And I, I won't say any more, but Sean, what do you think of this? Our work must foster, along with an understanding of the church's perennial doctrine, the reception of the Holy Father's teaching. 
Yeah, I I think it. How do we read that? It seems like it's it's uh, a little bit too uh, focused on Pope Francis's kind of uh, teaching and during his you know uh, pontificate, uh, almost like in a way putting a a barrier or a division between like you know what Pope Francis has been saying and then also the tradition of the Church, which is not. Uh, according to the hermeneutic of continuity or um, how the church has always understood tradition, usually you wouldn't want to drive a wedge there between the two. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I just the wording there, you know, it kind of makes you wary a little bit. Um, just just that that kind of division between teaching of the Holy Father, receiving it, and then understanding um, the uh, the doctrine as if there's maybe some kind of division there, or maybe and a further implication that. You know, this has been done, but now what we're trying to do is is the part two, you know, make the Holy Father's teaching, you know, better received. So, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure uh, exactly, you know, if that's the right reading of it, but definitely just on the surface of it, the wording uh, is a little strange. Yeah, no, it's definitely strange. The only reason I bring it up is because uh, you and I both know people who will read this document, um, who will well, start there. They will actually read it. So that's a good step yes, that's, in the that's, right that's direction. That's what, what everybody should do. It is a short one. You know, sometimes there's long, this is a short right. document you read in, you know, 20 minutes. Like, Yeah, because when we're looking at headlines, like, I'll Google it right now. So, um, but my point was, so while people are actually reading this document, they will come up with the least charitable <laughs> reading possible. Right. And so exactly like you just said, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh sort of saying this is weirdly phrased but i know people who will who have actually said and do believe that well you know there's the magisterium and then there's the magisterium of pope francis yeah right there's two and it's such a strange thing because the vatican has actually used that terminology over the last 10 years quite a bit not not the former but the latter the magisterium of pope francis yeah yeah it's like what what does that mean like why why say that so it's an interesting thing but regardless what we're called to is the religious submission of intellect and will. Whenever the Holy Father speaks um, on even prudential matters, we're called to religious submission of intellect and will. So here's here's some of the headlines. And I, I just typed in uh, Pope Francis. So <laughs> Pope Francis authorizes blessings for same-sex couples. Vatican approves, approves blessings for same-sex couples in landmark ruling. After Pope's decision, a same-sex couple receives a blessing in New York. Pope Francis approves blessings for same-sex couples. Pope Francis approves Catholic blessings for same-sex couples. I, I mean, and we're talking about CNN, Reuters, New York Times, AP News, NPR. So the world clearly believes that the church now allows same-sex couples to be blessed. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So, it's, yeah, it's definitely been <laughs> the interpretation in the wider world and why there's been, you know, such a, such a big... Um, uh, just it's gonna it's gonna continue on, but a big controversy and and kind of a this is this is a little bit of we're we're gonna see this unfold and the consequences of this unfold for a long time for at least you know months years probably until the next papacy mm-hmm. and then you know we'll see what the next pope does with it. Uh, but I think the the ironic thing there is, and this is one of the big observations that I have for the document and just the scenario at large is that what the document says is very different from what the impression of it is in the wider world, especially in people um, in uh, 
publications that have nothing to do with the church. Uh, there's just there's such a disparity between the two, uh, and that's been the case for almost mm-hmm. all of you know Francis Pontificate, and you could even go further back. You know, I think documents are you know in the secular. Uh, media have been misinterpreted for for more than just decades, you know, even you know centuries. Uh, and so, I think that that misinterpretation though has been magnified by the fact that we are drowning in headlines and news stories these days. Everybody through social media is tapped into it, so this has turned into a kind of you know explosion. Uh, but I do wonder, you know, I wonder if if all of these publications, uh, especially the more liberal publications, really read the document, how much they would be cheering. Um, certainly, mm-hmm. there's something to be you know, for them to cheer for and that they could abuse the document or use it against its own terms. But in terms of what it, what it actually says, I don't think that they would be celebrating much at all, you know, unless they're just, you know, mm-hmm. convinced that eventually the church will change its teaching. Because uh, the document does go, it doesn't even imply it. It just says it explicitly multiple times. The church's teaching on marriage and sexuality is not changing. And in fact, the blessings themselves that are being permitted in these very particular circumstances can only be done if everybody involved, priest and the the people receiving the blessing, know that this is not an approval of sinful behavior um, or their irregular situation. Um, so I think if you take mm-hmm. that, you know, and you supplement that as a subtitle, all these headlines, I don't think people would be reacting in quite the same way. Um, but of course, that's not what did happen or was ever going to happen. Um, there's going to be this kind of, you know, just big, you know, Vatican changes, everything. And it's, like, it's not really what happened. Now, that being said, you know, I still think the the document itself, you know, e- even though the document doesn't say what the secular media has said, I still think that there's a lot we have to parse through in that. What what exact what good, you know, at all could come from releasing a document like this? That's that's a different question. Uh, but I think the first mm-hmm. distinction to be made is that what what you know, the average, you know, Catholic is hearing on, you know, uh, the news is a very distorted vision of what the document actually says. So, yeah. Well, that there's a good distinction. Uh, that's why we brought you on. <laughs> so, uh, Cardinal Fernandez continues. He says, as with the Holy Father's above mentioned response to the dubia of two cardinals, this declaration remains firm on the traditional doctrine of the church about marriage, not allowing any type of liturgical rite or blessing similar to a liturgical rite that can create confusion. The value of this document, however, and so this is Cardinal Fernandez's uh, take on answering that question, what good can come from it? He says this, the value of this document, however, is that it offers a specific and innovative contribution. We'll come back to that in a moment. <laughs> offers a specific and innovative contribution to the pastoral meaning of blessings, permitting a broadening and enrichment of the classical understanding of blessings which is closely linked to a liturgical perspective. Such theological reflection based on the pastoral vision of Pope Francis implies a real development from what has been said about blessings in the magisterium and the official text of the church. And this explains why this text has taken on the typology of a uh, declaration. It's precisely in this context that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. This declaration is also intended as a tribute to the faithful people of God who worship the Lord with so many gestures of deep trust in his mercy and who, with this confidence, constantly come to seek a blessing from Mother Church. And that's the end of the presentation. But I want to go back to that 
offers a specific and innovative contribution mm-hmm. to the pastoral meanings of blessings, implies a real development based on the pastoral vision of, of Pope Francis. So it seems like what you were saying earlier about this sort of almost bifurcation between the perennial teachings of the church and this new magisterium, this new development, this top-down of Pope Francis. And and for those listening, neither one of us are anywhere close to set of a contest. Yeah, I figure we'll, we'll kind of talk about that at the end as well, you know, kind of our position on that stuff, yeah. But this is just reading, charitably, I think, reading what Cardinal Fernandez is saying. Like, how how can we, as faithful Catholics, take this without being mildly scandalized? Yep. Yeah. And I think the, (laughs) for anybody who watches this, that has seen the office, it just, it like just really reminds me of when Michael Scott declares bankruptcy, you know, he goes out in the middle of the office and he goes, (laughs) he just yells it, I declare bankruptcy, you know, and then Oscar goes into his office and he goes, you can't just declare bankruptcy and expect it to go away or say, say you're bankrupt and expect your problems to go away. And he says, I didn't say it, I declared it. Um, And (laughs) I think that's kind of what's going on here of like, you can't just say that doctrine is developing and, you know, Cardinal Fernandez would reply, mm-hmm. I didn't say it, I declared it. I declared that it's developed. <laughs> um, you know, but it's just, I don't know, anybody who watched the office might <laughs> appreciate that crossover. But I, I think that's that apropos. Most of the time in the history of the church, when you see authentic development of doctrine, which has happened since the beginning, the unfolding of doctrine, it doesn't happen this way. It doesn't happen where you get this document that says, attention development is occurring, you know, and then like, and then it just expounds <laughs> like the development just doesn't happen that way. You know, when you look at some of the development that happened in the early centuries with, um, you know, expounding the doctrine of the Trinity, expounding the doctrine of Christology, and you look even, you know, more towards, you know, the modern um, period, you know, in the 1800s and 1900s on, you know, uh, different issues that were addressed at the Second Vatican Council, where there was like little bits of development there. Like it was very organic um, and it hmm. didn't happen where there's no document saying we are now developing the churches. It just, it happens as the theologians in the mind of the church through the you know ministry and working of the Holy spirit begins to make more nuanced um, and detailed specifications on the perennial teaching of the church. Um, and it's not a kind of, you know, top-down declaration of this is now what is developing. It, it happens over time. You can see the Holy Spirit working. Um, and oftentimes it takes a long time for that to happen. And this is just a very sudden, you know, I suppose you could say that this has been brewing for a decade, but that's still, that's nothing, you know, in the history of the church. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that is startling um, to start a document by saying, you know, get ready for the innovation, I guess. Startling is definitely... Uh, I think that's actually calmer than how I felt yesterday <laughs> yeah, um, or two days ago, whenever it was. I Because uh, I read the document and I thought, okay, there's nothing really, um, there's nothing really new here. Uh, it's It seemed like a pretty much a, a big old nothing burger. Right. Where, and I know we talked about this before, where it's, you know, this is allowed to happen unless... And then it walks through all these different circumstances where it <laughs> wouldn't be able to happen. The document. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to the end and you're like, well, when the hell would it be able to happen? Because it sure looks like That's, yeah. this can't happen. Yeah, it's, you know, there's no special garments, not remotely connected to a civil union, no encouragement of the thing. It's got to be rainy. It's got to be a Thursday. You have to be wearing galoshes. You know, like, <laughs> like, these are all the specifications of when it's okay. 
Um, but of course, like we said already, you know, the impression of the document is not that, um, you know, nor will most people mm -hmm. read the document. The impression is going to be, oh, you know, like the church blesses, you know, uh, same sex unions. Uh, and I, I want to touch on something that you mentioned in that last paragraph uh, talking about kind of the magisterium of Pope Francis and also the, the pastoral, the, that, that word mm -hmm. pastoral. I think one of the big pastoral themes, vision. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, one of the big themes of the uh, pontificate of Pope Francis so far has been this um, it, most of the time explicit pitting of the doctrine of the church against pastoral work and pastoral strategy. Um, obviously, there needs to be tact in how to uh, teach and explain and evangelize and bring the truth of Christ to the world. Um, the the kind of uh, be you know, wise is, you know, cunning as serpents and, and innocent as doves, you know, kind of thing that you want to, you want to have a, a game plan when you're evangelizing and teaching. Uh, so you do, those two things are different. I think it's, it's right to say like, you know, there's, there are priests that you meet that are very good um, pastors. They have a pastoral heart and there are other priests you meet mm -hmm. that, you know, could recite to you the entire summa, you know, uh, article by article. And so there are two different strengths, but I think it's a mistake to pit them against each other. I, I think they do go together um, and that the church has, you know, and you look at, you know, uh, in my opinion, you know, the, the pontificates of St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict, and you see that kind of marrying of, of pastoral. You can say they had different strengths and emphasis. Um, and you could say that Pope, Pope Francis does have a pastoral heart, but it's a mistake to ever pit those two things against each other. And so we've been seeing a lot of the conflicts in the papacy of Pope Francis, whether it's been the various synods starting with the Synod and the Family, um, getting into the Amazonian uh, Synod, and then now uh, to the this present document. There's always been this kind of tension between the two. And I would caution Catholics, I, I've seen Catholics respond to this document and other uh, uh, kind of uh, documents released and statements by Pope Francis in interviews uh, over the last 10 years, where the response has been, you know, secretly he really believes this or the cardinals really want this they really do just mm. they just don't believe in christ they just don't believe in marriage they just don't i really don't believe I, I that might be true for a very small minority of bishops and cardinals but i think what we're dealing with here is people who they genuinely believe and you can read amoris Letizia. like it, it, it goes out of its way to rebuke the you know gender ideology uh saying that it doesn't just condemn uh same-sex uh relationships it says that they're not even remotely analogous, it says, to a marriage. Like, it doesn't say that yeah. they're not quite a marriage. It's not even remotely analogous. You don't say that if you're trying to sneak, you know, a heresy in there. Like, I really do believe they believe in the doctrine of the church, but I think that there is this mistaken pitting of the pastoral heart against doctrine in this thinking that truly, if we kind of put that on the back burner and we don't share the truth boldly or proudly or confidently, uh, that that somehow will lead to more effective evangelization. But we see all the time in our work, you know, at a Catholic school, that that's really not the case, that people respond to confident yeah. truth proclaimed in love. And uh, so that's that's something that you'll see in this document. Uh, to me, this is kind of like the the apex, at least thus far, of this this conflict, uh, supposed conflict in the Francis Papacy between the pastoral and the doctrinal. Um, and I think sometimes it leads to silly conclusions, silly contradictions, like uh, what you would see in the end of this document, where you have... The truth remains about marriage and sexuality, but on these, you know, very fine-tuned possible scenarios might be beneficial uh, to have a blessing. Um, you, you just have this, you know, kind of, well, what's what's the point of the diet? Isn't this what the church already taught kind of kind of thing? So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's an important thing to, to see that this is not a new issue. This is not out of the blue. Um, anybody who follows the news has seen these headlines. But at the heart of all the headlines is Pope Francis 
does believe the doctrine of marriage, does you know teach it uh, boldly in multiple documents, but there's this belief that the pastoral uh, reaching out uh, to uh, the wounded at some points needs to kind of like, you know, uh, we need to curb back the, the proclamation of the truth for the sake of that. But. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a false dichotomy to pit truth and charity against one another. You have to have both or mm-hmm. because truth without charity isn't truth and charity without truth isn't charity. Yeah, they they belong with one another if we're to be like Christ. Yeah. But as you say, in Pope Francis's pontificate, and I, I wrote about this, I um, wrote a rather lengthy article, I, I think it was a earlier episode, if, I'm, if I remember right, is Pope Francis a socialist and a globalist? Oh, yeah. And it was yeah. kind of a tongue-in-cheek question, but I, I walked through a lot of the different encyclicals and things, and the answer is, no, you know, it's the Pope is actually Catholic, mm-hmm. go figure. Right. Um, and, and when it gets down to it, when it comes to proclaiming the truth, he's usually actually very solid. Um, where he gets into trouble is this sort of dancing around issues, not disciplining where he needs to discipline, uh, being too heavy-handed yeah, on other some other right, 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 right. parts of the church. So, it, like, there's this, uh, I guess, inconsistency, irregularity in how he approaches the world. Um, and especially the people around him are, are fairly problematic at times. Right. Um, but I, I think it reminds me of the, I think there's twice over the last 10 years where he said, you know, we're going to start a commission to investigate women deacons. Mm-hmm. And he very boldly and clearly said, uh, Pope John Paul II has already ruled on this. Holy orders is reserved to men alone. Yeah. But we're going to have this commission to study women deacons. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. What, what's the point of studying this? And then he did it again. And I think what he's doing is just, I think he's just kicking the ball down or kicking the can down the road. Yeah. I, I think he doesn't want to go into it or saying, well, we'll have a commission to determine whether we can use the, the root of the yucca plant. This was part of the Amazon Synod as, as matter for the Eucharist. It's like anyone with half a brain who knows theology can say no. Right. It's not wheat. Yeah. Next no, question. Like bread, this yeah. is this <laughs> like and yet we still have these commissions and then when it comes down to it the pope says, "Oh, nope. Can't do it." Yeah. So this seems to me to be another sort of thing where he kind of got it a little bit backwards from the norm because in 2021 mm-hmm. the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and a Responsum ad dubium said that God cannot bless sin. Yeah. Speaking about this exact issue, can same-sex couples be blessed? Yeah. Kind of old school and now, short document guess, as well. Yeah. Right. Well, and, it, and they said no. They It was the, a negative response, and they said God cannot bless sin. So now, skip forward two years, we have this document, and it hasn't changed anything if you actually read the document. Right. Because God still apparently can't cannot bless him. Uh, and nobody's relationship is being blessed. Yes. And right. so this is the thing that's that I'm really struggling with, and maybe it might be worth talking through a little bit. Because again, what we're trying to do is, is trying to grapple with these things charitably while seeking the truth, um, giving our due to Pope Francis, who is the Holy Father, um, while also pushing back on things that are Okay to push back on. Mm-hmm. Religious submission of intellect and will does not mean the theological ascent of faith. 
-hmm. When we have to hold to something with the theological ascent of faith, we cannot set it aside lest we potentially damn ourselves. Right. With religious submission of intellect and will, we are submitting ourselves to what the Holy Father is saying, prayerfully considering it, using our God-given intellect and our will and our desire for Christ and for truth, and then coming to our own conclusions. Uh, and it's okay to disagree on things that are prudential judgments. It's okay to disagree on the way of doing things pastorally. Yep. Um, nothing in here is really speaking to faith and morals, as far as I'm aware. No, and I don't think it's trying to, you know? Yeah. And so the so as we're sort of weighing through these things, uh, well, there's a document not too long ago that the, uh, I think it was the DDF put out on uh, can transgender persons be baptized or right. serve as godparents. And I remember having this conversation with you one day where I said, I just don't like the phrase. Like, why are we using the term transgender? Mm -hmm. Why are we using the, and so same thing here. Why are we using the term same sex couple? Yeah. Um, as if we're not blessing. Cause if a priest gives a blessing and he's following this document, he's giving two blessings or a communal blessing mm -hmm. to a couple of people. Yeah. It's not like he's, <laughs> a couple he's of not people. Giving, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> right. But it's not, but it's not a same sex couple. Right. It's a couple of people who have same sex attraction. Yeah. The, the fact that they're in a relationship um, matters not because as, as you said, even Lamoris Laetitia says that it's not even analogous to marriage. And so we don't recognize civil unions. We don't recognize same sex uh, marriage. And, and for that matter, we don't, and we need to get into this a little bit too, probably the irregular situations that this document's speaking about, the people who are divorced and remarried, right. but not yet gone through the annulment process. Yeah. That's a very different situation because at least it can go somewhere, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. But the yeah. church would never bless that situation. Right. They would never say, well, you know, uh, yeah, the person that you're with, it's objectively adultery, but, you know, we'll bless you too anyway because, you know, the courthouse says it's okay. Yeah. The church is never going to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, how do how do you think the um, the word choices enter in? Like, does it matter that we're using the term same-sex couple or transgender? Yeah, I, th I think that that's, that is one issue. I think sometimes, right, you see reactions against the document and it's what people think the document is. So it's not really a critique of what was written. It's just a critique of what they think it is, which is, you know, yeah. full-on support of, you know, same-sex relationships, which it's not. Uh, but I think the... This, getting into the actual criticism of the document itself, the language is the first one. That's the first one you have to address because the language is important. Um, using, and you can see that even just with the, the documents that were, were released as the summary report from the Synod, you know, they intentionally avoided certain phrases uh, so as not mm. to play by the secular world's game. You don't want to move the battle onto their territory where they're, they're shifting words um, you know, the church would never use reproductive health care and referring to euthanasia and abortion. Mm -hmm. um, these kind of euphemisms and these kind of twisting words are, are really important. And so I think that's a big critique of this is that you really, yeah, to imply that there's any sort of union going on in a, in a same sex relationship uh, would be problematic. Um, and I think that that's, you know, one thing there, and especially in the context of blessings, because even though the document doesn't say, right, that like, the scenario, wh whether it be same-sex same sex, 
same sex couple or uh, a uh, somebody, you know, a, a couple cohabiting or a divorce remarried, even though it doesn't say that their situation can be blessed, just by the fact that it's referring to them as some kind of unit is a problem. Um, that's, I think, that's where I think people get upset mm-hmm. because the the other, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the document two years ago made it very clear that anybody can receive a blessing individually, right? But it's the, yeah. you can't bless in. Um, and I think in much more maybe convoluted language that's being said in this document, but it's not as clear um, because that is true, right? So when, when, so in part of the document, you know, it says that there's no moral requirements for a blessing to be received. And of course, this is true. Um, anybody who's, you know, trying to shake the priest's hands after mass, you know, after uh, uh, on, a, on a Sunday after mass, you know, you see so many people asking for blessings, you know, blessings. Uh, for birthdays, for anniversaries, uh, for uh, houses later in the week, for rosaries that they just got, a statue of St. Michael. They're always asking for blessings. And it's always very quick. The priest is not spending a whole lot of time. The priest is not doing some kind of moral scan of the person like, ah, are you worthy of this? Yeah. Um, so, of course, there's no you know moral test for a blessing. Uh, but I think what you get into here is if, you know, if it's a couple, you know, like what what is being implied, you know, are people seeing this? Is it scandalous to people watching? So, Yeah. Well, and it, it's, I'd, I'd push back on the language you used a little bit there. I agree with everything you said, but it's not that there's a moral requirement to, to give a blessing, but there is a moral requiement to receive a blessing, mm, namely yeah. that we have to be open to it. Right. I mean, we right, have to right. be disposed to receiving it. So, and I think that matters. And I think the document does address that to, yeah. uh, at length is like, if someone's asking for a blessing at the very least, they must be open to God's grace. Uh, even if it's a sliver of a, a, you know, foot in the door, it's like, yeah, that's, that's worth pursuing. And I I would think that any priest would see that and would jump all over that and say, well, of course, I'm going to invite God explicitly into uh, our concrete reality right here and now without any sort of moral evaluation of the situation, but just say, you know, Lord, we need, we need your grace. What I think was, very, very absent from this document was uh, sort of like Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, and he stops the people from stoning her. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go. Yeah. And that was the document. But what's missing? And sin no more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's a there's we need the grace of repentance. We need the grace of conversion. And, And that said, but I would have loved to have seen a more explicit realization of you know, the, the Lord is calling us to something perhaps very difficult, but nonetheless, like we need God's grace to overcome those obstacles. I didn't hear any language even approaching that. Yeah. And perhaps, you know, maybe opening a different can of worms, you know, for the Catholics that are doing their best to live chastely, but are attracted to the same sex, you know, what, could there have been said to help them or maybe, you know, reference their, their struggle, you know, or, or what can, you know, building up, you know, ministries that have been built up in the last five to 10 years to help people in that scenario um, and minister to those groups. Uh, that, that seems to me something that would be far more productive than this kind of remote blessing. This, this seems very targeted, a very small, when you read the whole document, mm-hmm. it's like it's targeted a very small group um, because what, like you just said, you know, to re- you need to be open to receive the blessing. One of the things that the document says is that the, people asking for the blessing 
uh, are asking first for God's uh, blessing upon what is good in their scenario. You know, so you picture, you know, a, a gay couple and one of them, you know, is going through chemo, you know, uh, treatment. And, and now, you know, there there's a lot of sacrificial friendship going on there. That's that's good. Um, and then it, it also says that the people asking need, are, are asking for God's help to amend their lives, to live more perfectly the call of the gospel. In other words, repentance, right? The grace of repentance. Um, mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> again, how many people are going to be asking for this blessing within the kind of a spirit of repentance? It's just so different from what the world is, is seeing there, you know, with, with the blessing. And, and even the language of blessing in ordinary parlance is going to tend to connote a kind of like, approval being cast down, God's approval being bestowed by the church on this scenario, when really the document says the exact opposite. And that is a tragic irony um, that it's, you know, the call is to repentance. The blessing is really supposed to be a call to repentance. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I, and back to what you said just a second ago about God's grace, just that small door being opened to God's grace. I think that is Pope Francis's logic, you know, and Cardinal Fernandez, mm-hmm. Fernandez's logic here is that if somebody comes up to a priest and is asking for a blessing, unless they're just trying to be deceptive or use the priest for the sake of some kind of, you know, personal validation, there is grace moving of, they, they're seeking not just, you know, not just God generally, but they're seeking the authority of an ordained priest in Christ's church to help them in some way. And I think that's maybe where, like, if we're looking at what could motivate this document, I think Pope Francis is looking at those scenarios where there might be a couple uh, who, let's say they just did a pilgrimage, let's say their visiting lords started as a vacation, and now all of a sudden it's turning into something a little bit more, and they go up to a priest and they're like, I, I've never considered Catholicism, but something is going on here. Can, can you bless us? They don't even know what a blessing is, but they are revering the priest. And Pope Francis is saying in that scenario, the priest should bless them because then what's the alternative? The priest says, sorry, no, I saw you holding hands a hundred yards away. You, you guys need to go figure that out <laughs> first. Like, well, then those yeah. people are literally never going to come to the church. You know, they're, they're gone forever at that point. So I think Pope Francis has those scenarios maybe in mind. Like those are scenarios where it might be prudent for the priest without any sort of analysis, just to give some kind of blessing, a calling of God's grace upon these people. Um, but again, is that the scenario that people are going to see in the new, you know, is that what's being reported? Is that what the German bishops are going to do? Is that what some of the more dissident priests in the United States are going to do? No, they're going to treat this as tacit approval to do whatever they want. Um, and so that's where I think the document, you know, taken to its letter, uh, I think there are scenarios where that might be the case. But of all the times, if you were to, you know, a year from now, you know, and you had the statistics of how many blessings were given to couples in irregular situations and how many of them were following the document, I mean, if I if I were, if I were betting on it, I, I wouldn't put it at higher than you know one percent of the blessings given are actually going to follow the document. Yeah. And so then you have to ask, okay, uh, was this anticipated? You know, like how could we not anticipate that people would take it this way? Um, and that brings us maybe to another uh, thing that's been brought up by some people since it's been released, which is one of the motivations possibly being here. You know, we can't reach into the mind of of uh, Cardinal Fernandez and, and Pope Francis, Pope Francis, but that the Germans have been causing a lot of trouble the last few years. Uh, and one of the things that they have been trying to do is create these pseudo weddings, you know, for same sex couples where there are like liturgical blessings for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, one possible way to read this document is the magisterium is essentially kind of making one last appeal to the German bishop saying, look, this is as far as we're going to go. We're going to say in some very rare circumstances, you can do something like that. We know there's something you really want, but here's the very rare circumstance where that might be permissible. Church, church teaching not changing, which is what the German bishops want. 
Um, and so it's kind of a gesture of goodwill towards them. But then also with all the requirements, mm-hmm. it's a rebuke of what some German priests are doing right now. Um, and so, right. again, if we're, if we're looking, we have to kind of look at different parts of the world are going to receive this differently. You know, African bishops are going to be like, what in the world is going on here? You know, like, where is this coming from? Uh, United States bishops are going to be, you know, like, this is only going to cause chaos here. German bishops are going to receive it as a rebuke. Like, are you saying that we can't keep doing like it's going to be a little game of chicken? You're like, well, let's let's see. Are you really going to put your money where your mouth is and discipline us on what we're doing? Because we're not following this document. Um, and so I think that that's another factor in here of if you look at the inner dynamic of the church, it could be Pope Francis reaching out to the German bishops, kind of uh pleading them don't enter into a formal schism, you know, uh, and, and don't make me, you know, can I make this uglier than it already is? Um, that it could definitely be something going on uh, in, in their minds. No, I think you're dead right on that. I, I think this is in very, it's very much in continuity with parts of a Morrisley Titsi, especially the irregular situation part. Um, but then I think the German bishops and the, the synodal way. I mean, there's no way this isn't exactly targeted. Um, also interesting, as you noted uh, in a conversation we had a couple of days ago, that German is one of the first languages listed for yes, right this document on the Vatican's website. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, it's definitely written to the Germans. But um, you know, the the pillar, the pillar has been doing amazing work, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they they put on an article, who's saying what. Uh, yesterday, which was, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, December 20th. So this would be on Tuesday, December 19th. And under the Germans, uh, it does say this, this is the president of the influential lay central committee of German Catholics, uh, Irma uh, Stetterkart. She said she was both happy and surprised, end quote, by the document, referring to priests and lay pastoral workers who have long blessed same-sex couples in Germany. She said, Quote, it turns out that theological honesty and a sense of faith are important milestones on the way to changing the church. Mere obedience to prohibitions is not Catholic. Which is probably <laughs> one of the most German sentences I've ever read. Um, <laughs> Talk about speaking from within a tradition. But it's, it's interesting because, like, you look through this and they've got Ghana and Ivory Coast and Nigeria. And exactly like you said, the, the African bishops are thinking, what is this document even doing? Because they've read it and they've mm-hmm. said, this doesn't really change anything. Yeah. Um, but, but so going back to this idea of the irregular situation versus the same-sex couple, because yeah, let's talk about that. I, uh, I really don't like that they're smushed together. Um, yeah. because it's not the same thing philosophically, right? There is no way, shape or form where two men can ever be in a situation that is analogous even to marriage. That's, that's very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Same thing with two women or God knows what else we've got throuples and whatnot we've got going on in the world. But, but with the regular situations, and I used to be a, a nullity minister in the diocese of Phoenix. And so I'd worked with all sorts of people who would be in this category. And a lot of them, as I was going through what was RCIA, now it's OCIA, um, and teaching them, informing them, some of them had to wait two and a half years while their annulments were being worked on. And they thought to themselves, well, you know, I, 
I don't really know what my place in the church is because I'm not really Catholic yet, and yeah. I'm I, I'm in this irregular situation where I'm I'm baptized Catholic, but I can't come back to the church, and because I can't go to confession because I'm still in this irregular situation, like it's a it's a challenge yeah, for people to very cross. Messy. Yeah. Well, and what I always say to them is, this is a speed bump. This is not the end of the road. Mm-hmm. And there's, you're going somewhere. We're moving towards full communion. Yes. There is an end to this. Not only is there an end to this, there's an end to this very likely with the person that you are with now. Yeah. Um, and the church even recognizes pastorally that if two people are living together, they're divorced and remarried, obviously they're not spouses. Like mm-hmm. We shouldn't say that's your husband, that's your wife. We would say intended spouse in the language of the church. But if you have, if they have children together or, or children from both marriages living with them, the idea that they would then live apart from one another, the church doesn't ask them to do that. The church might say it would be best if you got separate beds, mm-hmm. um, you know, even keep the same bedroom. I mean, we've, we've had this conversation with people uh, multiple times because obviously they're called to continents they're called to not engage in sexual behavior but the church doesn't allow them to go to confession because the church assumes that they will be sexually active yeah now you can look at that and say well okay the clearly the church has a very low opinion of people's self-control and it's like yeah for two thousand years they've heard your confessions people (laughs) um like yeah yeah we we kind of suck at follow through so there's this understanding that okay you can't go to confession yet. You can't go to communion yet. But what can you do? You can participate in the life of the church in prayer. You can go to mass. You can go to daily mass. You can receive spiritually, receive communion, uh, and make an act of spiritual communion. Um, you can go to classes. You can be engaged in so many different things. And so, but it, but the point is, it's all leading somewhere because if, uh, say, we have a woman who is... Um, We'll say she was formerly Catholic or baptized Catholic, lapsed, uh, married to a Protestant man uh, civilly, and he has to go through the annulment process. It's a full-blown annulment, um, so the whole investigation, all of this. She simply got married outside of the church, and so it's a documentary case. It takes like two weeks um, because it's very clear that canonical form wasn't met. So yeah. she gets that done. Well, she still has to wait if she intends to marry this man and she's living with him. Yeah. Uh, and so she has to, but the thing is his annulment case is moving forward. And if it's found that a declaration of nullity should be granted, what that's saying is that he was never married in the first place. Therefore they are free to marry because yes. it would be a single man, single woman, no impediments, and they can get married. Now going to the same sex couple that's never going to happen. Right. And and the church is often called homophobic and anti-gay and all these different things. It's not about that. It's not about me or you or our opinions. It's about what is marriage. Yep. And, and that's not something that we can change. But the point is, for an individual, pastorally speaking, how would you in a parish, like say we're a, uh, you're advising a parish priest who has a couple come to them who are gay and what's the next step? And they say, father, we want to be Catholic. We want to live a Catholic life. We want to receive the sacraments. 
Well, in that case, in some in some regards, it would be I don't want to say it's easy because, of course, it, it might be very, very difficult for those two people. It would probably be very difficult to change their entire way of living. But God's grace can come into that. But in terms of the process, objectively, very simple. Split. Now, I'd, I'd say that with understanding all of that's going to go into that. Yeah. Especially if they live together, if they're civilly married, uh, if they've had kids through IVF and surrogacy. I mean, like, our world is complicated. I totally get that. Yeah. But at the same time, there is no... There's no final um, ultimate step to regularizing their situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good distinction. And so it's, well, and it's, it's a tough one because how do we evangelize people who have same-sex attraction, who are living a life that is contrary to the church, and help them overcome what is... Tantamount to the way they've lived their life probably for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's the question, you know, and we're going to be asking, you know, more and more and, you know, our kind of postmodern, very secularized Western world, that question, you know, ad nauseum, you know, for, for the rest of our, mm -hmm. our ministries, you know, there's just going to be so many scenarios of how do you best minister to them? And, and that's why I encourage Catholics not to assume the worst in intentions or, you know, some, secret beliefs of, of Pope Francis or, or, or bishops, um, because I think it's just a genuine thought that strategically, this is the way to go. This is how you bring people into the church yeah. and, and even to eventually a full reception of the truth. Um, but this is how it's done. Um, and I think maybe there's an underestimation of just how uh, hostile uh, people are towards the church's teaching, how much they want to see it change, how much they want uh, that kind of validation of the moral authority of the church. Uh, but that's, I think that's exactly right. Um, and the distinction between the two scenarios is also really important because there, there is to call God's grace upon a couple, like a, as a couple, right. Uh, two people who could get married even in like very shortly, you know, makes a lot more sense than calling a blessing upon two people who, like if the blessing in that grace is given and responded to properly would eventually <laughs> split apart. It seems odd, you know, that would be, you know, the, mm -hmm. the end. So I think that that's a, that's an important uh, thing. And that's why probably the, the big reaction to uh, this document is not divorced and remarried couples can receive a blessing, you know, or cohabiting couples could receive a blessing you know, like that. Like that's not the headline. The headline is the same sex because you're dealing with the natural law and, you know, the Western world has thrown that out, uh, we are long past that kind of, you know, ignoring um, of the natural law. And the church just seems to just not give it up and uh, upholding these these moral norms. And so I think that's why, you know, they there's this, yeah, kind of celebration on their end that, of what they think this is. So what do we do with this? I mean, we read the document and we say, okay, there's nothing that's really changing. We can say, well, you know, the Vatican is allowing same-sex couples to be blessed, but but actually not really. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they are, but it's so narrow yeah. um, as to be virtually never going to happen. Which, first of all, I mean, that kind of transcends what I call common sense pastoral approach, which is you never make a an, a rule out of an exception. Yes, that's almost the definition of what is happening in this case. Like, that's exactly what has happened, yeah. 
Yeah, what do we do? Uh, I, I think, well, just the facts are, this is a crisis. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, this is just, it, it's a big issue. This is not something that will blow over in a week. Uh, this is this has created a very big, we are, there's already an issue, you know, brewing in Germany, other countries in Europe, uh, and among some areas in the United States where you have certain disparity of practice and bishops being pitted against other bishops. This has just magnified that beyond all reason. And I think the next Pope is is going to have a lot because Cardinal Fernandez says this is the last set. We're not speaking on this anymore. It's basically what Cardinal Fernandez says, like, don't expect any other document uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, you know, the next Pope is going to have uh, to address this, I, I think, in, in a major way. And, and who knows what the situation in Germany will be then uh, or other countries. But. Yeah, so it's definitely a crisis. Uh, you don't want to downplay it and say it's you know just because the document and its wording you know is is orthodox you know and that this is not what the secular media is reporting it to be. Absolutely not. What Catholics are going to see now is a lot of confusion of people outside of the church thinking that the church is now you know changed because of Pope Francis. Um, people are gonna people young people are gonna have more questions you know of kind of saying like wait. Like, are we, you know, are, have, have things changed, you know, like, is this, is this a new thing? Um, you're going to see a lot of abuse of this. You're going to see probably, you know, my friend sent me a post of, you know, uh, Father James Martin, you know, saying that I, I got to bless my friends the other morning for the first time, you know, in a Vatican sanctioned way, even though by the very fact of him posting and it seemed to be planned, it's not spontaneous. It seems to be very public and they're holding hands while it's happening. So clearly there's a bit of scandal going on. Like, that doesn't fit into what the document would allow. Uh, you're going to see a lot of yeah. that where people are just misapplying this. Sometimes whole regions of the world um, will maybe misapply this. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's that's the scenario. Um, so you have to kind of the first thing the Catholics have to do is just accept that. Okay, You, you can't go back to the, the day when that wasn't an issue. You can't, you know, you can't go back to, you know, 2010. You can't go back to 1988 and you can't go back to 1955. We're living in this year and there's no sense in trying to go back. But I would say I would implore uh, Catholics to do two things personally. The first is don't let this consume your spiritual life. Uh, I think throughout the entire Mm -hmm. pontificate of Pope Francis, you've seen a lot of really good faithful Catholics, some of them in high positions, kind of lose their wits. Uh, They kind of fell into almost this trap of being a reactionary. And what that entails is, first, your spiritual life can crumble because of that. Second, you can take rash action. You can start speaking uncharitably about the Pope. You can do it publicly. You can start leading others into sin because of that. And then at the far end of that, you just become a state of the contest and you don't even think the Pope is legitimate um, and uh, and you leave the church. So all sorts of, all, there's a whole range of reactions. I want to implore Catholics to avoid that entirely just by remembering that our call has not changed. No matter what uh, scandal and what uh, you see in the news, no matter how much confusion might be out there about uh what the church has done or said, the call of Christ is to personal holiness every single day. Christ did not die for our sins, conquer the grave, and give us an opportunity uh, to be deified by his grace daily in the sacraments. He didn't give us all of these gifts so that we could spend our days stewing in bitterness and anger and rage and comment boxes and and just frustrated. Um, that's that's not the call. And I think one of the subtlest traps that can you know a good faith Catholic can fall into in this time is letting it uh, these events consume uh, our spiritual lives. The call is to go if 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 you're feeling flustered, go 
do an, a work of mercy, spiritual, uh, corporal, you know, do, do, uh, do something to get yourself out of the state that would let you be consumed by it. Um, the calls to holiness. Uh, so we continue on. Uh, we continue every day to be faithful to Christ's teachings, to be transformed by his grace, especially in the sacrament of confession, uh, by frequent reception of Holy Communion. Uh, we continue to conform our souls to Christ through acts of charity for the people closest to us and strangers. So that's that's the call. Um, so I'd implore Catholics to remember that. Um, and uh, I don't know, there's two things that stick with me from an old spiritual director, uh, Deacon Keating. He sees two things that I think that apply here. First, in his New York accent, say, read Ratzinger. And, uh, and I think that's good advice. Your mind's made to be filled with the truth, yeah, not with sensational headlines. You know, calm your mind with Ratzinger and say, and I think that's good. You know, like in times, you know, it's way more fruitful to read a good piece of theology from, you know, Pope Benedict or anybody else uh, than fill your mind with, you know, journalism that's just going to enrage you of like, I can't believe they're saying this. This is so wrong. Uh, and the second thing you'd say is, uh, you know, holiness is in the ordinary. Go wash the dishes. You know, like just do simple acts of charity. Like the if you do those two things, you'll be able to stay out of that trap of kind of anger and bitterness. And then um, from that place of, you know, our, our chaplain, Father Wetzel, always says it's from the place of strength. Then you can go about reacting to the scenario um, from a place of strength, mm -hmm. you know, and, and pursuing holiness, being conformed to Christ daily. Then you can start to effectively intercede for leaders in the church, intercede for people who are confused, and then teach and clarify people in your life who need teaching and clarification. But if you try to do that from a place of bitterness, of, uh, of kind of frantic, I don't know what to do. This is my whole worldviews, you know, up in the, I don't know, you know, I can't solve this. If you do it from there, it's not going to be fruitful. Uh, so, you know, get on the vine, you know, stay attached to the vine, keep the eyes on Christ. And then from there, a healthy response uh, will come. But that kind of rash action that, you know, maybe we'd have if somebody in our political party, you know, acted in a certain way and, you know, we'd, we'd be upset like, we don't want to turn the church into into that. We don't want to treat this like it's a part of the news cycle. It's you know just another news cycle. This is a crisis mm -hmm. in the church. It's a spiritual problem, but we have to address you know our call to holiness first, and then you know hopefully affect people around us in a positive way. So that's, those are the two things that I would implore Catholics to do. And I'd echo that completely. And uh, just add this: if you are someone who's listening to this and you're in one of those regular situations, or you're uh, you have same sex attraction, you're in a relationship. Just know a couple things. Know that God absolutely loves you and desires to be in union and communion with you, and that these obstacles are not insurmountable. But not only that, you are not a pawn in some larger game. We talk about these different groups as if everybody in a specific group thinks the same way, acts the same way, is on the same place. I told you, I said I was a nullity minister. Every single person that I worked with, every single couple, individual, completely different situations. Yeah. Yep. Every person I know who has same sex attraction, completely different people. And so we need to keep that in mind that we're not, we should not monochromatically talk about entire swaths of people as if they're all the same or they face the same struggles or even that they think the same way. Like as a small example, I know people with same sex attraction who they think it's strange that people say it's a cross that they have to bear. They say, no, I'm, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm joyfully celibate. And and so great. So I'd say that. I'd also say pray for priests, especially parish priests, because if you think that you and I and, and everyone else has it difficult with the news cycle and everything that's going on, spend one day with a parish priest and you'll see that their lives are 
very, very difficult today. Um, So make sure you're praying for your priests. Make sure that you're supporting them, telling them that you're praying for them, telling them that um, don't don't give them a big sermon or lecture. Just say, Father, it's tough being a priest today. I see you. I value you. And I'm praying for you. And I think that would go a long way because they only really hear the squeaky wheels. They only hear the negatives in the parish. Um, but this certainly complicates the heck out of a lot of parish life. Yeah. Um, because they also will get everybody and their mother telling them what their opinion is on <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that uh, those in the regular situations, uh, those in same-sex couples, you're not alone. We love you. The church loves you. We want you to be part of the church. There is a way forward, even if it's difficult. We all have something that we're dealing with. Um, pray for your parish priests. And then if you are the type that you're like, okay, well, I'm still, I still want to pay attention. So everything that Sean said, I think I I echo completely. We need to be people of prayer. We need to have uh, regular recourse to the sacraments. But if you want to stay abreast of what's going on without all the sensationalist headlines, I really, really highly recommend the pillar. Yes. Um, You just go to pillarcatholic.com. JD Flynn and Ed Condon are doing amazing work over there. Just, Doing journalism, like I, I think journalism the way it should be, and uh, I, I am not being paid by the pillar. I don't have ad money from the pillar, but my goodness, like if I want to know what's going on, I go there to look. So um, I know that I'm, I'm going to be posting a couple of articles in the show notes here. But anyway, Sean, any any last thoughts? Any final words before yeah, we? I really, I really loved uh, what you just said too. Yeah, just about you know anybody experiencing you know same sex attraction and or in an irregular situation uh, that you know this seems very abstract, but in the concrete, you know, obviously these things are difficult. Um, and uh, if you know if anybody's watching this and needs that, you know, reach out and you know we're happy to help and just talk because you know everybody's moving you know one one day at a time you know in their walk towards you know uh, Christ and communion with Him, and so. Uh, you know, that's, you know, what this is, you know, this whole show has been about is kind of these big decisions and you know, how it's going to play out in these, you know, concrete levels, but those individual stories are perfect. So I really love that. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Sean, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. For those listening, go to gooddistinctions.com to learn more. Good distinctions are the spice of life and follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, do check out gooddistinctions.com. You can become a free subscriber via email I try to post a few things that are written throughout the week and then uh, aiming aiming for one video every week or two, um, sometimes conversations, sometimes solo episodes. And if you have any comments, questions, ideas for something that you want me to cover, you can send an email to gooddistinctions at gmail.com. Lots of different ways to get in contact with me. All right. Well, good distinctions are the spice of life.